Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. As we're going through the New Testament, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3 this evening. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and your love for us. We thank you that you're our cornerstone, that we're the house of God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And tonight, as we look again at what is church, what did you intend church to be and church leadership, we pray we would learn and grow. And we pray for your will for our church, God, that you would grow us in leadership and grow us in the things that you would have for us. We do pray for our community uh, this Christmas. We pray for those that don't know you and need a touch from you, God. We pray you would bless our Christmas Eve services and really pour out your spirit upon them. Allow your name to be proclaimed. We pray throughout our city that the gospel would be declared and many people would come to know you as their Savior. So we lift up our nation and pray for your grace and your mercy. And even throughout the whole world that there would be a moving that would take place of you. So would you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. What is church part two? In this section of 1 Timothy, we're really looking at God's instruction for the church. Paul writes at the end of this chapter, he says, I've given these things to you so you'll know how to conduct yourself inside of the house of God. If you missed last week's study, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it on the church's website. I think it's, it's very applicable, some important things, and it launches right into uh, chapter 3. I want to remind us what the church is. The, the Greek word is ekklesia, and it means to, to be called out, an assembly that's called out. And it speaks of that we're called out of the world into the new identity in Christ. The metaphors that God gives to us of the church is that we're the bride of Christ, we're the body of Christ, we're the building of God. Some incredible metaphors, some incredible pictures and realities of, of who the, the church is, that we're salt and, and we're light. And specifically in chapter 3, we're going to look at what are the requirements, what are the instructions for pastors and elders and deacons. And pastors and elders focusing on the spiritual care uh, of the church, and then the deacons focusing more on the physical uh, care. I think that there is something here uh, for all of us, and it is important how a church is set up and how their leadership uh, is set up. And so we'll talk about this as well a little bit in regards to our own fellowship and how we seek to try to apply some of these principles. So this is verse 1 of First Timothy 3. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. So first, if a man desires this position of being a bishop, a bishop is an overseer. It literally means overseer. It's synonymous with pastor or elder. It's that spiritual leadership inside of the church. So if a man desires that, if he wants to lead God's people, teach God's people, lay down his life for God's people, that's a good desire to have. And maybe God is stirring that in the hearts of, of some of you men. You're saying, yeah, I, I do feel that the Lord is calling me to be an elder, that the Lord's calling me to be a pastor and lay my life down for his sheep. And that, that's a good stirring. And I think sometimes uh, we can almost feel guilty for having that desire. 
But remember that God writes his will upon our hearts. He works within us to will and to do his good pleasure. So if that is stirring inside of you, I'd encourage you to continue to pray about that with the Lord and continue to be faithful in the little things and see what God would do in your life. And then also there's an emphasis that you're desiring a good work. The position of being an elder or or pastor, it is a good work, but it is work. We have to be well aware of that, that there is a lot of work that comes with, with pastoring. It's interesting when you talk to people about being a pastor, there's a ton of ideas that people have in their minds. Like, what do they do all week? They must play golf all week and then throw together a sermon and, and seems like a pretty easy gig. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to try that out. You know, how do I, how do I become a pastor? And there is a, a lot of work involved and it's, it's good work. And we think about some of the labor, there's labor in the word to, to really be responsible before the Lord for what we're presenting from God's word, to be faithful in that, to make sure it is God's word and we're rightly dividing the word of God. So there's labor in the word. There's labor in prayer. A pastor is to be praying for the body that that he serves. Also, there's a labor of care, to, to care for marriages, to be there for counseling, to be there for hospital visits and weddings and, and funerals. And there's many aspects that we see in Paul's life when he listed the things that he suffered, really his, his labor in the Lord. The last thing that he put is he said the care for the churches. And so of all of the physical suffering that he went through, what weighed on him the most was how are these churches doing that he planted, that God used him to plant. And that speaks of the heart of a shepherd. So men, if you're being called, it's a good desire and know that it is a good work to desire. It has nothing to do with a paycheck. Being a pastor or an elder isn't, isn't something that is defined by a paycheck, but it's defined by a calling and a heart for service for people. In verse 2, it says, a bishop then must be blameless. And as we go through this list, I, I hope you understand there is no person that fulfills this perfectly. Myself and every pastor that I've ever talked to were extremely challenged by this list. We're, we're always growing in these things, and these things are, are ever in front of us. So, so there, you'll never meet a, a pastor that has this, this mastered. And when it says that a bishop, a pastor, an elder is to be blameless, it means above reproach. It doesn't mean perfect, you know. You've probably heard, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it, because you'll ruin it, Right? So there's no such thing as a perfect team of pastors or a perfect church. And and you'll never find a a perfectly blameless pastor, but they should be above reproach, meaning that there isn't this duplicity in their life. There isn't this glaring rebellion before God or any secrets that they're, they're an open book, that what you see is what you get. And that's part of the godly character. The husband of one wife. This really means a one woman man should be able to look at the pastors of, of our church and say, these are men that walk in integrity with their wives. They're committed to their wives. They're not cheating on their wives and being unfaithful uh, to their wives. A question that then comes up with this passage is that someone that's been divorced, can they be a pastor? And there would be some denominations and movements that would hold to that, that would say, 
you know, that being divorced disqualifies you from, from being a pastor. I, I don't think that that's the implication of the text. I think the implication of the text is that are you committed faithfully to the wife that you're married to? Are you a, a one-woman man? I know, I know several pastors that before they knew Christ as their Savior, they went through a divorce. Uh, some different situations, different circumstances got saved, became incredibly godly men, and are, and are wonderful pastors uh, to this day. But this speaks to, to the principle of faithfulness to your wife. And if there isn't faithfulness to your wife, then how will you be faithful to God's church? And so, you know, that, that's a really good indicator. When you look at this section of scripture and kind of what has ensnared pastors in sin, everything is included here as we'll go through this tonight. You know, as you guys full know, time and time again, the story of a pastor is sexual sin. Uh, they get caught up in sexual sin. They're not faithful to, to their wife and faithful uh, to, to their vows. And God knew that but ahead of time. You know, this is the very early instructions to pastors and saying, make sure that you guard yourself in, in faithfulness uh, to, to your wife. It, it's very, very important to the Lord. It's very important in, in leadership. Temperate. This is something that an elder, a pastor is to be, is temperate. What does temperate mean? means to be self-controlled, to have self-control. And you could see why in a pastor that this is important, that you would be temperate and you would be, be self-controlled. Uh, decisions need to be made, decisions in people's lives and the direction of the church. And sometimes there's great criticism that comes in serving as a pastor and to be able to respond with, with self-control. So that's something that the Lord lays out as a guideline. Sober-minded, Sober-minded, this is a mind that's even-keeled. There's a lot of roller coasters in ministry. There's a lot of ups and there's a lot of downs. There's, there's a lot of really high points and a lot of really low points. And sometimes people are really excited and other times people are, are not so excited. And a lot of times emotions are charged. And it really serves a pastor well to be sober-minded, to be even-killed in the midst of those ups and those downs. It doesn't mean that there's no heart, that there's no passion, that there's no determination, but to be uh, so, sober-minded. And these things that we see in the life of a pastor, they're good in, in all of our lives. Amen? These are good, godly traits that can be applied into any area of our lives. Of good behavior. This speaks of overall character. Is their overall character one of, of good behavior? Again, not perfection, but good behavior. Hospitable. This is friendly, warm, and inviting. I think this goes a long way in the pastorate, right? You know, if, if a, a pastor purely has a professor type of personality and they give you great information from the pulpit, but then when you go to talk to them, they're not very personable, it's difficult, isn't it? You know, you go, okay, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you know, I, I understand he's got more of a professor type of, of personality, but God would say this is something that we look for in elders as we look for in pastoral leadership as they're warm, they're friendly, they're hospitable. Able to teach. This is goes back to last week's study. We, we talked about to this elder and pastoring position that it is to be men that, that operate in this teaching capacity uh, for the whole entire uh, church. And so if you have an elder uh, that isn't able to teach, that that's, a, that's an issue. They have to have an ability, an aptitude to be able to teach. Again, this is not perfection. But if there isn't an ability to teach there, that would then factor in, are they being called to be a pastor or an elder? Not violent. 
Makes sense, doesn't it? Right? God doesn't want his people treated in a violent way. He wants them to be cared for in gentleness. Not greedy for money. Nothing will probably destroy a church quicker than a pastoral team, a pastoral leader, a group of elders that are greedy for money. Paul warns against this in 2 Timothy, and he says, those that think that godliness is a means to gain, then be careful. Be warned about them. Stay, stay clear of them. So we shouldn't see serving the Lord as a way to, to get money and to be greedy for gain. So one of the pitfalls that pastors fall into is sexual sin, being unfaithful to their wife. Another way that pastors fall is mishandling money, isn't it? We see this over and over again throughout, throughout churches. I'm sure some of you have experienced this where pastors get overcome with greed and they get overcome with the love, love of money. And so these are things that we would appreciate your prayer for us as a pastoral team. You know, we're not above falling in these areas. Pray for us in, in these areas of, of sexual integrity and, and managing uh, God, God's money. And there's some things that we have put into place here inside of our, our church fellowship that are very helpful in this. And it's good things for you to know is as we as pastors here is we don't uh, do counseling with women in the church one-on-one. We'll, we'll meet one time uh, in, in a public place like the cafe, and then we're going to turn it over to a woman in, in the fellowship. And the reason for that is because that, that guard against uh, sexual sin. And then also with the finances, you know, we have guards that are put in place when it comes to, to the finances. And, and one of those is we don't see who gives. So Obviously, there's a stewardship over, over the money. We know how much comes in, but we don't know who gives. And why is that? Because it may be tempting to treat somebody who's a big tither differently than someone who doesn't tithe, right? And so we don't, we don't know that. And then also, uh, we go through an extensive uh, auditing process by Cape and Krause. They're an independent firm that comes in, and they go through every receipt of the church. And if this is your church home and you give here, we would love for you to come and be able to see how the money is, is managed because we want to have transparency in that. But that's addressed here, you know, how God's money is dealt with and not being uh, given to a greedy heart. Um, I missed one at the beginning of verse 3. It says, not given to wine. Obviously, that is keeping from leading of the Holy Spirit. If a pastor's drunk, he's not in the right place, he's causing other people to stumble uh, as well but gentle. So again, this attribute of self-control, of being temperate and being gentle. Gentleness goes a long way, doesn't it? You know, truth can be said in gentleness, and it's much easier to receive. If there's a confrontation and there's gentleness, it's like a, a coating on a pill that allows the truth to be able to, to be swallowed. We see gentleness in the life of Christ. He says, I, I'm, I'm gentle. Not quarrelsome, so these pastors aren't to be ones that are looking to start a fight, but being willing to be peacemakers. Not covetous, not longing for something that God hasn't provided. This can very easily enter into the heart of a pastor, where he's longing for the ministry that God has given to someone else. If I could only see this many people come to Christ, or if the church was just this size, or Fill, fill in the blank, and covetousness enters into the heart of a ministry and to the heart of a pastor. Goes on, one who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house, 
How will he take care of the church of God? So Timothy's in the position where he's going to be looking to raise up elders for local churches and the church of Ephesus. And what kind of men should he be looking for? Men who are leading in the home. Because if they're leading in the home, they're going to make good leaders in the church. If they're not leading in the home, then they're not going to provide good leadership inside the church. So a lot of times in ministry, and I know many of you are serving, and this doesn't, uh, you know, this applies across the board whether you're a pastor or not, is sometimes we serve in neglect of the family. Isn't that true? You see people getting really involved in ministry, but they're not present in their own homes. And so if you, if you volunteer at the church here and you serve at the church, it should always be done out of the health of your home, not in the neglect of your home. And, and, and again, no home is perfect. You know, no marriage is perfect. But it's that, that there is godly leadership in, inside of, of the home. And so that's something to always pray through and examine. Is it, Am I providing the kind of leadership that God would intend at home first? And then leadership in the church overflows. Is that overflowing cup out of what is taking place in the home? There's a lot of parallels between leadership in the home and leadership in the church goes on to say, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. So pitfalls for a pastor, sexual sin, you know, mismanaging God's funds, possibly even stealing God's money. Another one, pride, right? How many times has pride entered into the heart of a pastor and he gets puffed up? And the encouragement here is don't give the position of pastor or elder to a novice, someone who has just started serving the Lord, because they're going to start pastoring and see God use their life, because God loves people. God's faithful to his word. So God's going to begin to work, and God's begin to move, and they're going to tend to think, oh, this is because of me. This is because of my teaching ability, or my character, or my, bi- my Bible reading, and not understanding that it's an expression of, of God's grace, and then pride comes in. And they fall the same way that Satan fell. Satan fell because of, of his pride. So there's that warning against pride. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. What, what does this refer to? It refers to the overall character and lifestyle of the pastor, that he's not just living it at the church but he's living it outside the church, pays his bills on time. So he has a a good testimony with the bank, a good testimony with the the utility company, you know, a faithful worker. And he has a good testimony with his boss, a good neighbor and a good testimony inside of his neighborhood and in his family. So as we're looking for men to be elders and we're looking for men to be pastors, we go, are they living at first in their homes? Are they living in their workplace, in their neighborhoods? And once again, there's this warning here. It says, lest he fall into reproach, the snare of the devil. And so the, the devil's been mentioned twice in two verses. And we know the enemy would love to attack leadership, attack pastors and elders and, and their homes. And they're saying, be proven, be tested, because the enemy is going to come against you. So Maybe you're new to our church and you're going, how does this work? Does RMC have elders and who are their elders? Who would be their, their bishops? Who, who are their pastors? So for us, we've kind of taken our pastors and elders and we've divided them into to two groups. So all of our pastors that are on staff here at RMC, 
would be considered elders. And you're saying, well, who are the, the pastors at, at our, our church? And on our website, you can see a list of, of our pastors. And we're blessed to be able to have a team. Blessed to be able to have a, a team of pastors to be able to serve together. I'm personally so thankful for the team of pastors that we he- have here at, at RMC. Great men, love the Lord. Not perfect men, but a good team of gifts that have uh, come uh, together. And then we also have a board of elders uh, that they serve as well. And those are men in our church uh, who aren't on staff, but have fulfilled these guidelines that have been willing to step onto our board of elders. So our pastors mainly focus on the spiritual care and then the board of elders primarily f- focus on the financial aspect uh, of the church. And there's some crossover. Uh, I meet with our board of elders monthly. We have one month where we pray, and the next month we have more of a, of a business-type uh, meeting. Wonderful men that have served faithfully uh, as board of elders on, on uh, our, our staff and on our, our church. And we're always looking to see God grow this uh, in our church, You know, God to raise up new pastors. Some of you, God may be stirring you to, to be pastors here uh, at the church down the road. We also have lay pastors, which are fulfilling this elder role inside of our church, but aren't on staff and aren't being paid and doing similar things to, to what our uh, pastoral staff uh, is doing. We love to see pastors be raised up to be sent out to plant churches, if that's the Lord's will, to be able to provide spiritual leadership uh, for, for other churches. So God may be stirring inside of your heart and you're saying, well, what's the best way to grow as a pastor? It's to serve right right where you're at. You know, all of our pastoral team, we all began by serving in our local churches, many serving in in this uh, church. I remember when God stirred my heart to, to be a pastor and was going to Bible college and went to my pastor and I said, you know, I really feel called to be a pastor. You know, he did something crazy. He handed me a broom. He said, Eric, that's great that God's calling you to be a pastor. I want you to be the first one here on Sunday morning and make sure everything's clean and prepared for God's people to come. And that's not what I expected when I told him that I had a heart to be a pastor. But that's where my training began. That's where God began to work in my heart and, and work uh, in, in my life. And so it's a, it's a good thing to look at. Even in reading this tonight, it, it challenges me. I think it'll challenge me my, my whole life to continue to grow in these things. And we have a second group of spiritual leadership uh, that we see in verse 8. It says, likewise, deacons must be reverent. So We've talked about a pastor and elder, but what's a deacon? The word deacon, uh, it means servant. It's deaconos in the Greek. And we find the first mention of deacons in Acts chapter 6. The church was really growing, and there was a need for the widows to be served to the point where the apostles weren't able to devote themselves to the spiritual care the way that they would like. And so they raised up deacons to meet those physical needs of, of the widows so that they could devote themselves to prayer and to the word. Not that they weren't willing to serve, but they wanted to provide that spiritual leadership, so they raised up deacons. We don't have official office of deacon inside of our church like we do pastors and elders. And the reason for that is to try to do away from the title. It seems like more in history past of the church history as a whole, as soon as someone gets the eld- the, or the title of being a deacon, uh, the service kind of goes out the window. So start walking around the church and like, I'm Deacon Wilson and, 
you know, I'm, I'm Deacon John and those types of things instead of fulfilling the purpose which is serving. But we actually, on our last uh, pastoral retreat, spent a lot of time looking at this passage and praying it through. And we're considering sometime in the future maybe having the official office of deacon. We're, we're seeing what God would lead for us in that. I can tell you this is we do have a lot of deacons in our church that are doing the work of serving without a title, uh, that are taking this seriously to say, I want to serve the body. I want to be a blessing to the body. And so here's a need. I'm going to go ahead and fulfill this need and serve and be a blessing uh, to others. We have men in our our fellowship that come early Sunday morning and clean this this building so it's ready for those that that come in. And they're doing the office of a deacon and they don't uh, have the title. So it's... uh, Something we're praying through and, and thinking through. The first thing that a deacon would be is to be reverent, which is worthy of respect, a man of dignity. You know, someone that fears God and someone that's respected by others. Not double-tongued. This is someone who follows through with their word, that's honest. You can trust them, that what they say that they're, they're going to do. They're not given to much wine. Again, alcohol's not an issue in their life. They're not greedy for money, so they're not in, the, in this place where they're hungry for money. I love verse 9. It says, holding the mystery of the faith with pure conscience. The mystery of the faith, that speaks of the awe of God. They, they have the awe of God and faith with a pure conscience. An open account before the Lord, walking rightly before the Lord. But let these also first be tested let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. So the office of a deacon is someone that has also been tested, that they've served faithful. They've been faithful in the little things before they've been given this responsibility. Likewise, their wives be reverent. So the, the deacon's wives also would be someone who is worthy of respect, not slanderers. You know, the wives not being gossips. Just like the love of money and sexual sin can destroy a church, gossip can really destroy a church, can it? So this goes across the board for deacons and their, their wives, elders and their wives, to not be slanderous. They need to be trusted. You know, if someone in the church comes and shares with them, they need to know that that's not going to go out to, to the whole church. Faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own <clears throat> house as well. So the same encouragement that was given to elders that the deacons would be one, one women men committed to their wives, also giving that leadership to their children inside of the home, managing their homes well. This is a really important verse in this discussion in verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons attain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So someone who's willing to serve and someone who's willing to take on these physical tasks, physical leadership and spiritual leadership, notice what happens is they obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in faith which is in the Lord. You may want to write this down. Serving brings about maturity. Serving brings about maturity. I'm going to grab a drink of water. Is that okay? It can be done. 
Mm, that was good. Right there. You guys drying out this time of year? Yeah. Maybe you've noticed this in your life and in the life of others. When they choose to serve, growth takes place. Maturity takes place. So serving here at the church, and, and this is, again, in context of body life and serving other brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not just about fulfilling a need. It's not like, okay, there's a need in children's ministry, so let's just fill that need. You know, there's, there's a need for there to be ushers. Let, let's fill, fill that need. There's a need for small groups leaders. Let's, let's fill that need. But when we're touched by God, when God leads us, not an obligation, well, I have to serve because this is what I need to do to please God or to fit in around here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. But when the Holy Spirit starts to burden us with a certain aspect of the church, like, oh, all of a sudden you've got a heart for teenagers or you've got a heart for for this or that, and you begin to serve others, then what takes place? There's growth that, that happens in your life. I think it's important for all of us as believers to serve other believers. It's called the one another in the Bible. You know, you see it all over in the Bible. One another, one another, one another. And it's, it's our love for the body. It's our love uh, for, for the church. And it, it's not always in a, a formal way. It, it's not always in fulfilling a need inside of the church. But it, it's a lifestyle of saying, yeah, I want to be a blessing to other believers. I think this really fits with what we studied on Saturday and Sunday, where Jesus said for us to serve. Do, do we come to be served or do we come to serve others? What, what mindset do we have? Maybe you've been saying, I really desire to serve here at RMC. Is there a capacity where I could serve? Could I pray with people here in the front? Could I serve on the worship team? Could I serve in the cafe? Man, you've talked about cleaning the facility. I would love to, to be a, a part of that. Or I, I heard those, those that are going out to the breakfast with the byways to feed the homeless. I'd love to be a part of that. And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. On the church's website, there's a volunteer application and fill it out. We're really trying hard as a staff to be diligent to follow through with that. And to see where God would place you to, to be able to serve. Once a month, you know, every six weeks, maybe twice, twice a month. But remember, it needs to come out of the health of your home. So again, not that your home's perfect. No home is perfect. But what I mean by that is if you're married, that your spouse is in agreement. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you something as a married couple. So your, your spouse is like, yeah, this will work inside of responsibility to the family for you to be able to do this. Or this works inside of, of leading the kids. Yeah, this is going to be healthy uh, for us. So it's not the type of thing where you go home and you go, you know what, honey, I heard this message from Pastor Eric about maturity comes through serving and serving through believers. So I signed up to volunteer. I'm going to be gone every Saturday night. I just signed up for every Saturday night. That's cool with you, right? You love Jesus, right? Okay, good. Because I already committed. I, like, I'm doing this. Like, that's not the way it should go. It should go, hey, what do you think? Let's, let's pray about it. You talk about it. You okay with it? Okay, good. Let, let, let's adjust that as, as we go. But there's a real joy uh, that happens. You know, the best friendship and fellowship that I've ever had in my life has come with people that I've served with inside of the church. Like, maybe you're here tonight and you're going, I don't, 
I don't really feel at home here. I don't know if this is my church. I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if I'm needed here. And something will happen in you as you serve. You will begin to develop relationships that can't be developed any other way. There's great value to men's and women's ministry, great value to small groups, but nothing can can replace uh, a serving. And then if you have been serving faithfully, the enemy's going to try to attack you. The enemy's going to try to attack me. And you're going to start to feel, I don't know if it's worth it, and I don't know if I should be doing this. And those are always things to be praying through. But oftentimes the answer is yes. You may change it a little bit. You may tweak it a little bit. But it talks about in the Psalms that we're blessed in our lives as we're planted in the house of God. Amen? So, so when I'm planted with other believers, I begin to blossom. And so even if you need to change ministries or adjust this, don't stop loving other believers. Amen? Don't, don't stop caring for other believers because a maturity happens in our lives as we serve. And that's what verse 13 is telling us. We see that in Stephen's life, one of the first deacons. He served, and a great boldness in the faith came, and he gave a, a powerful witness of Christ and was the first to be martyred, the first to be killed uh, for his faith. Verse 14, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Paul's saying, if I can't come, you know how to set up church. You, you know how the, the church should be operated, how church leadership should be set up, how we should conduct ourselves as men and women inside of the house of God. Notice it says that we are God's house. It's not speaking of the building. It's speaking of the believers. That we as believers collectively, not just one person, but us joined together, we are the family of God. We're the house of God, and he lives, he inhabits inside of us. We're the building of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. The church of the living God. So we're this group that is called out, this ecclesia. We're, we're called to the living God, and he is alive among us. Aren't you thankful that we're not the church of the dead God? Right? You know, there's assemblies of groups of people that are gathered together about all kinds of craziness, right? You've got New Age churches, you've got universal churches, and universalists believe that everybody is saved, that people don't have to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. But what makes this group of people special is the fact that we're gathered together to the living God. We're gathered together based upon his truth. Church is only as good as it's grounded in truth. Notice at the end of verse 15, it says, the pillar, the ground of truth. This is what God intends for the church to be, is the pillar and the ground of truth. This image of being the house of God, the building of God, then you have the pillar. So a pillar holds up a building, doesn't it? You know? If the, if the pillar isn't strong, the building is going to, to collapse. So through the truth of who God is and Scripture, then the church becomes a pillar in society based on truth. So if the enemy was going to attack the church, what would be one of the first ways that he would do it? To try to get the church to compromise truth. To say truth doesn't matter. What is church? Church is to be based on truth. The truth of scripture. 
That's why here at RMC, we believe that studying the Bible is so important. Going through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, studying it together, studying it individually, because this is truth. And as we walk in the truth, then God makes us the pillar of truth, and he also makes us the foundation of truth, the ground of truth that speaks of the foundation of truth. So, man, I would encourage you, may God just light a fire in your heart for his word. A lot of times as we go into a new year, we reflect upon our our lives. And how is our time in the word going? What is it that God is leading us to in 2017? Maybe he wants you to study the Proverbs this year in depth. And you're going to read a chapter a day of the Proverbs for the whole year, 2017. It's all you're going to study. Going to read the Proverbs through 12 times. Not anything that you're doing in any kind of formal study, just you and the Lord. Maybe that's what he's putting upon your heart. Maybe he wants you to focus in upon the Gospels and you're going to read that through. Just go through it several times through, through this year. Maybe it's the New Testament. Maybe it's something crazy like the minor prophets. God's just going to have you go through the minor prophets this year. Maybe he's put on your heart to read through the Bible in a year. You're going to get a, through the Bible in a, in a year. You're going to pick that up and just read that through uh, this year. Maybe God wants you to do something a little different. You've got your method of study that you do every year, and the Lord's saying, I want to, I want to change this a little bit. Maybe he's going to have you start journaling and writing down scripture. Maybe it's something crazy like listening to an audio Bible. I'm going to download that on your phone and listen, listen to that through uh, several times. But your diet of God's word, your love for, for God's word, because this is God's intent uh, for the church. What I love about Paul and his writings is sometimes he gets so taken up by who God is that he just starts to expound on the Lord. And here he's writing about truth, and for the next few verses, he just expounds on truth. He gives us this very powerful, short definition of truth in verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Mystery, it means hidden, but now revealed. So godliness is now revealed. And the descriptor describes it as being, and without controversy, great is this mystery of godliness. Here it is. God was manifest in the flesh. So it's expounding truth, expounding the mystery of godliness, and it's Christ in human flesh. I've been meditating this week on John chapter 1 as we think of the nativity and celebrate Christmas. We have this very large view of Christ at the beginning of John 1, verse 1, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. goes on to describe that everything was made through him, through Jesus. So right there we have that Jesus is God, that Jesus has fellowship with the Father, and Jesus created the world. A lot to think about. And then it begins to describe that his life was the light of men. And that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That he who created the world entered into the world. Think about creating something and then entering into the world. 
So this mystery of godliness, that God could save sinful people, it's that God came in the flesh, was born in Bethlehem. Why was he born in the flesh? To be the sacrifice for sin, to be the physical, pure sacrifice for sin. A physical lamb had to be slain in the Old Testament. The father was pleased with the burnt offerings in the Old Testament. They were aroma unto him, and Jesus would be that ultimate sacrifice. I know I've said this a lot over the years. You've probably heard me say this around Christmas time, but it still blows my mind to think about God being born of Mary, maybe six pounds, maybe seven pounds. The creator is dependent upon his creation. Mary and Joseph are an extremely young couple. Maybe she was 16 years old. And here God is putting his whole existence into the hands of a 16-year-old girl. If she doesn't feed Jesus, he's dead. He can't do anything. It's God in human flesh. The creator is dependent upon his creation. Parents, think about your first that was born. And they sent you home from the hospital with your baby. You're like, what do, what, what do I do? And you think about, you buy a vehicle, you get a used vehicle, and there's an owner's manual that comes with that vehicle. They didn't give you jack squat when you left the hospital, right? It's like, there's no manual, there's nothing. They're like, good luck, you know. Oh, we can't even tell you if you've got your car seat right. That would be a liability. You have to go to the fire department for that, you know, like. Figure out the car seat on your own. We'll, we'll, we'll see you later. And Mary must have felt the same way, if not worse. She's away from her family, ostracized by her family, looked down upon in a different city. Jesus is born in a barn. God in human flesh. And as he was in human flesh, he was the perfect sacrifice and also the faithful and merciful high priest that knows exactly what it's like to walk through this life to be tempted, but yet without sin, so that we could come to him. Goes on to say, justified in the spirit. Another way this is translated and what justified means is he's validated by the spirit. The spirit bears witness of the son. This is the mystery of godliness. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove where people could see the dove coming down upon Jesus representing the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. He said, after I die and rise again, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The Holy Spirit's going to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you to be my witness. And the Spirit validated who Jesus is, validated his promises. He was justified in the Spirit and seen by angels. This mystery of godliness, the way that God saves sinners. Imagine the perspective of the angels. They saw this whole thing. Saw Jesus in his glory as God, as the creator, his fellowship with the Father. Then they see Jesus as a baby in the manger. They're going, wow, this is crazy. And then they see you and they see me and all of our sin and all the stuff we try to hide. And Jesus dies for our sin. They go, wow, this could only be the plan of God. This could only be the glory of God. The mystery of godliness, truth, is seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, Jesus took his love to Gentiles, to the Samaritan woman, to Gentile regions. We see in the book of Acts, the gospel going out to the Gentile world. It says, believed on in the world. The mystery of godliness is confirmed by the fact that people believe in Jesus. 
that people receive Jesus as their Savior. What a powerful thing. Your life's a testimony of that. My life's a testimony of that, that God loves sinners, that Jesus died for sinners, that he rose again to save sinners, to give them eternal life, and to change and transform their life. It's believed upon in the world. And then speaking of Christ, received up in glory. Christ is seen ascending up to heaven. He's seen ascending up to heaven, the mystery of godliness. So that's a great section of scripture to prepare our hearts uh, to meditate upon the gift of Christ here at Christmas. So in these last two weeks, we've looked at what is church, and we're so thankful for our church, and we're wanting to continue to grow as a church. Amen? So we're, we're thankful for the pastoral leadership and elders that God's provided for our church, and it's a privilege to serve you. Pray you'd continue to pray for us. We're praying for you and want to continue to seek uh, God's guidance uh, for us. It's been refreshing for us uh, this fall as a church to look at the Word, to look at what God's Word has to say for church and for spiritual leadership, and say so we want to take that as our guidance. We want to take that as our, our, as our stepping stone and the way that the Lord is, is uh, directing us. And if there's those of you that God is stirring you to be a pastor as you hear this message, I, I can guarantee you this. If you are called by God to be a pastor and elder, you can't escape it, no matter how hard you try. How do you know if you're called? Because as many times as you try to walk away from it, the Lord reminds you that this is what you're, you're called to do. And I want to encourage you in any area, if the Lord is stirring you to serve, step out in faith. No one's ever qualified. No one has ever arrived. And to, to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to step out in these things that you have, have led me to do. So let's pray and let's take a moment to pray for our church and enter into communion. Jesus, we're, we're so thankful that you use broken and fallen sinners. And we know that uh, we're in desperate need of your grace. Lord, I thank you for the pastors and elders of RMC and just pray that you would refresh them tonight and encourage them. Protect us, God. Protect us from sexual sin. Protect us from pride. Protect us from greed and and from covetousness. Lord, we pray for future pastors that you would want to raise up in our church or that you would make that clear calling that would come from you. I pray for those tonight that are feeling called by you, that they would surrender to you afresh. Lord, we thank you for the deacons in our church, those that serve so faithfully to to meet needs and to care for physical needs. Would you bless them and encourage them? And Lord, whatever you desire in this area of deacons, we pray for your will, God, whether it's a title or no title, that it would be a, a very effective function inside of our church. And Lord, as you have intended for the church to be the pillar and the ground of truth. God, we pray that you would renew our reverence for your word, that we would never take it for granted that we get to read your word and that you would baptize us afresh through the Holy Spirit to get to know you through your word. Lord, I pray for this group tonight that you would just do a special work in us to give us a a greater appetite and understanding for the word. And would you give us a relevance in our community? Would you give us an ability to communicate your word in a way that people would understand? And would you open up people's hearts and minds to want to know the truth? We thank you that we're not called to entertain, 
You know, it's not our job to try to keep up with the world. Our job is to, to know you and to share you. And Jesus, we're amazed by you tonight. We want to say thank you that you came in human flesh, died for our sins, rose again, ascended to the Father. That's the mystery of godliness, not that we would work hard, that we would do better, but that you would give your son for us. So would you bless communion? Would you bless this time together? In Jesus' name, amen.